If people want to throw stones at you, let them throw stones. But those stones don't matter anything if you don't let them hurt you. Because you recognize and know that the mercy of God is upon you. Regenerating the past and bringing about a beautiful future in spite of. What does Paul say in Romans? While you were yet still sinners, what? Christ died for you. Come on. Hey, welcome to the Night Church Podcast, where we meet every Friday evening for worship at the Loma Linda University Church for young adults, by young adults. We hope this encourages you and someone else you know. Enjoy. Hey, everybody. Good evening. So glad to have you here. Thank you, Dustin. Thank you, Anna. That was so beautiful. Really, really grateful to be here with you all tonight. Well, tonight we enter into a space that some of you are going to be like, wow, I can't believe the church is preaching on this. Young rabbis were forbidden to read this very book because of the steamy chapter that we're in tonight. Solomon leads us into the bedchamber of the royal couple. The wedding night of passion is incredible but it also depicts a revealing and powerful, timeless mystery of the very gospel of God, the bride of Christ and his love for her. If you're here for the very first time, we're in a series called The Princess and the Prince, Ancient Wisdom for Modern Love. In here, we capture a three-part exegetical chapter-by-chapter sermon that looks at the story that Solomon told, which is a single poem of his thousand that we have no record of, but this very one. You ask yourself, why would God have saved this one out of the thousand and more that he wrote? Because he believes that people should understand love, romance, and what it looks like. So here we capture Solomon, his wife, the very first one that he ever married. Sadly, the story tells the gospel, I said. The story is the reality. Though he shares wisdom that we can learn from, it's not always wisdom that he followed. And yet, and yet, there is a God who loves beyond our failures and mistakes. And that is his story. And so this series highlights some biblical principles that are necessary for every single one of us, particularly those of you that are single here tonight, to kind of capture before you get to the altar and you say, I do. Some people might wonder, hey, why in the world would we be sharing about this topic tonight to single people? What in the world? What in the world? This is exactly what the church should be sharing. The world teaches it, preaches it in its own methods and ways. And the church sometimes is silent on one of the most normal and exciting things of our lives. So tonight I ask you, would you consider with me to open your mind to the heart of God and the gospel, but also recognize the beauty of what he's created? Last week we entered into the very beginning, the courtship. The courtship focused on the reality that, hey, there is a couple who respects, cherishes, honors, finds themselves in a space of finding them beautiful and 
Seeing that first, but yet valuing deeply and most profoundly character. Last week, I also gave you a resource by Pastor Ty Gibson that, that looked at the six kind of secrets of understanding marital, marital eligibility. My buddy Matt showed that to me a while back, and I just thought it was so profound for you guys. Looking at Christ-centeredness. How do you know if someone is the best fit for you? Do they value and worship Jesus at the center of their life? Is that a priority for them? If it's not, look the other way. Do they have solid character? We talked about that last week. Is there a compatibility between the two of you? Do you have the same values, share the same principles? Are your visions aligned? I love seeing beautiful and amazing people come together, but it's always so rough for me. I'm like, and you broke up? Why? The reality is they just weren't compatible. Their visions for life were different. One wants to do this and the other wants to do that. And they just, so there has to be compatibility. There is, number four, communication that has to be central to a relationship. Is there God honoring communication? Is there communication with family? Do they know how to talk to their parents? Is there God honoring relationship with their friends? Do they communicate? kindly and well fifthly there's their commitment are they afraid of commitment do they value it do they recognize that hey it's okay and good and amazing to get married i'm not going to be dating you for 10 years because i'm so afraid of what might be a marriage and it might end up no i'm i'm excited about commitment in life and i and i'm willing to commit my life and everything about me to you forever in all eternity and into eternity. And that means I'm okay only being committed to you and no one else. And then second, finally, chemistry. You know, some people would say, oh, well, you know, you're a believer. It should all be about the character. No, 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 no. We saw that last week in Song of Solomon. Chemistry is actually a vital component to a relationship. That was the first thing that she saw, this amazing, good-looking man. And she told her girls, this guy's He's a doll. I love him. I want to marry this guy. I talk about him. I dream about him. And so that's okay. So that was last week. Now we move and shift into Song of Solomon chapter 3 verse 6 all the way to chapter 5 verse 1. I'm actually going to read this to you tonight. I want you to capture just kind of the whole communication between the guy, the girl, and everything in between there. I just think it's so beautiful. And so tonight, I want you to see this with me. So if you have your Bible, pull it out digitally. Or if you're a real Christian, you've got a real Bible on you, pull that out. Um, I'm with the digital people tonight. So here we go. Song of Solomon, chapter 3, verse 6. Here we go. Who is this coming up from the wilderness? Like a column of smoke perfumed with myrrh and incense made from all the spices of the merchant. Look, it's Solomon's carriage escorted by 60 warriors of the noblest of Israel. This is Solomon heading to his wedding with his entourage of guys. He's bringing his best with him because he wants to protect his bride. You know, when you think about a person before they're getting married, I always ask them, how do they talk about the woman that they're about to marry? Do they protect her emotionally? But I also, this is a sad reality, when people break up, I also see and wonder, how do they honor the person that they were just with? Do they talk smack about them? 
You have to know how to break up well as, as much as you have to know how to start something and continue in something well. Honor their character. Don't defame them in front of everyone that you get, to, you know, a moment to bring out your microphone about all their faults. Talk about being incredibly ungrateful and gracious. You dated the person. That also says something about you. Did you forget that? So let's talk about that a little bit for a moment, huh? So he comes with his entourage. Verse 8. All of them wearing the sword, all experienced in battle, each with his sword at his side prepared for the terrors of the night. King Solomon made for himself the carriage. He made it out of wood from Lebanon. Its posts were made of silver, its base of gold, its belt was upholstered with purple, its interior inlaid with love. This is where he's going to have his bride be. He's got the entourage to protect her, and he's prepared a beautiful place for her to be. He's doing a work of preparation. It says that he built this. He didn't go order it from Amazon. He prepared with his hands. Before marriage, there should be a season of a, of a young man preparing himself in every way, preparing his life, his mind, his body for what is about to be one of the most trying experiences as much as it's the most beautiful experience of your life and so look on the king solomon wearing a crown the crown with his mother that crowned him on the day of his wedding the day his heart rejoiced and now boom there they're at the wedding and solomon speaks first listen to how he describes his wife how beautiful you are, my darling. Oh, how beautiful your eyes behind the veils are doves. You're like, doves? Eyes like doves? Let's talk about the veil before we get to the doves. The only person that would actually veil themselves in, in Middle Eastern culture during a regular day was a prostitute. So now when a woman, though, would get married, she would veil herself. Why? Because it was on that night that which a prostitute would do on a common day of any moment, now that woman and man would experience together. And so she would veil herself, and then at the wedding, it would be unveiled that evening when the man and woman were able to consummate their marriage together. Your hair is like a flock of goats descending from the hills of Gilead. There in Gilead, there was a beautiful region known for its range of just Beautiful pastures, green and lush, and the goats would kind of come down. And as the sun was setting, commentator said, it cast one of the most beautiful pictures that people could see. So he talks about her hair in a beautiful nature. Like, goats, what? There's all symbols in here in the Song of Solomon. So capture that. And now listen to this. Your teeth are like flock of sheep just shorn coming from the washing. Your teeth are like goats? What the? Goat's hair was very matted and dirty and first kind of in that, in that realm and world in a desert. But when they were shorn, that's the time that they were shaven, taking off all the dirt and then you see the pure coat that they're on. So she's got pearly whites and she's got all her teeth. And he's pretty happy about that. <laughs> and here he says, each one has its twin, not one of them is alone. So he's not like a toothless woman, which very common in a world that didn't have dentists from Loma Linda. Your lips are like scarlet ribbon. 
Your mouth is lovely. It's rosy in essence, her lips. Your temples behind your veil, they're like halves of pomegranates. Pomegranates, they were just kind of, he's talking about, hey, your cheekbones are high and, and there's kind of a flush color to it. She's attractive woman here he's describing. Your neck is like the Tower of David built on the courses of stone. On it hang a thousand shields and all of them shields of warriors. Just this beautiful long neck that he's describing that's kind of a delight to view. And here all together, my darling, you are beautiful. There is no flaw in you. Come with me from Lebanon, my bride. Come with me from Lebanon. Descend on the crest of Amana from the top of Sinir, the summits of Hermon, from the lion's den and from the mountain haunts of leopards. You have stolen my heart, my bride, my bride, my sister. You've stolen my heart with one glance of your eye and with one jewel from your necklace. How delightful is your love, my sister, my bride. How much more pleasing is your love than wine. Ooh, starting to get somewhere. The fragrance of your perfume is more than any spice. He's getting in closer. Are you catching this? Now he's smelling her. Your lips drop sweetness from the honeycomb, my bride. Milk and honey are under your tongue. Now he's getting to kiss her. Mm -mm. Okay. The fragrance of your garments is like the fragrance of Lebanon. You are a garden locked up, my sister, my bride. This is one of the most sobering spaces for each one of us to recognize in a modern 21st century world. You are a garden locked up, my sister, my bride. You are a spring enclosed, a sealed fountain. She's a virgin. We live in a world today of shame, guilt, and sorrow. I remember the time I was doing premarital counseling in my very first church there in Laguna Niguel. And a couple came to me. I knew them from uh, back at school where I was at in college and so glad to kind of journey with them in this, in this process. And, and we were in one of the sessions where, you know, couples can kind of discuss some of their past. And there with tears in her eyes, she and he cried. Philip, we had sex before marriage. We feel like something is just so lost. I want to address this tonight just for a little bit before we kind of continue because I think it's a very prevalent issue, not issue, but just a, a part of our history in our lives. Some of you have walked the path of holding yourself just as this woman. You are virgins. And man, I praise God for that for you. I praise God for that for you because for one reason or another, you were kept from going all the way maybe one night and you stopped shy of things or you just never had a lot of exposure to relationships and so that isn't your story. But for others of us, it's been part of our history and there comes with it a lot of shame and guilt, tear and sorrows. And there's this point where many people look at themselves and they say, will God still bless my love? Will he hold this against me? Will my potential future spouse hold this against me? Will there be something missing? And, and I first want to say the reality is yes and no. Yes, some people will look at you. I remember counseling one person. They're like, I will never marry someone who isn't just like I am a virgin. And that's part of their decision. And, that, and that's okay. 
But I also know that we have to remember that God is a God of forgiveness and mercy and grace and generosity. And he yearns for his people to experience that in a sinful world. And so some of you are standing here, to, sitting here today and you're like, I feel so much shame for my past. Brother and sister, I want you to recognize this. If people want to throw stones at you, let them throw stones. But those stones don't matter anything if you don't let them hurt you. Because you recognize and know that the mercy of God is upon you. Regenerating the past and bringing about a beautiful future in spite of. What does Paul say in Romans? While you were yet still sinners, what? Christ died for you. Come on. If Jesus dies for the broken, would he not die for our sexuality that was broken? For some, it was stolen from them. You realize that some people never lost their virginity on their own will or choice. These were things that were robbed of them. I, I, I plead, I plead with you to have mercy and grace. But the other thing I want you to remember is I don't want you to also pick up the stones and hit yourself with them. You've got to learn to forgive yourself. If Jesus is willing to forgive you, then you've got to also let that rest and lie where it is. So while Solomon speaks of a beautiful ideal, here is a man who had 700 wives and 300 concubines. Come on. Here, this man talks about an ideal, and yet he, did he live up to it? Not just no, hell, no. This guy went to the furthest extent, commentators, I said this last week, I want to repeat it so much to you. It's just this reality. They believe either he wrote this book before all that happened, or he wrote it, which I almost believe this second one even more, he wrote it after the fact. Realizing after experiencing all of that, it wasn't worth it. And he wanted to portray to them a better reality. A more ideal one that he hoped they would live into. One that I implore you to do too. Because there's also now this pendulum swing that's occurred in the church today. Particularly in Christianity. Maybe even I would say, could it be just the West Coast? I don't know. But where we also downplay those who are waiting for the day. And those that have made mistakes and saying, I don't want to go down that path anymore. And there's kind of this feeling of, well, if I've lost it once, Forget it. I'm just going to kind of go into that and just live like that and be like that. And then we look down upon those that cherish wholeness, sexual purity. There's, there's nothing to shame on either side. Let's just live into God's blessing. Put the stones down. The ones that you throw, don't do it anymore. Put the stones back. So this woman here, she is a virgin. And he says, you are locked, my bride. Your lips drop sweetness as the honeycomb, my bride. Your plants are an orchard, verse 13, of pomegranates, of choice fruits, and with henna and nard and saffron, calamus and cinnamon, with every kind of incense tree and myrrh and aloes and the finest of spices. You are a golden fountain, a well of flowing water streaming down from Lebanon. Guys, they are unabashedly naked, standing before one another now. 
and hear the words now she speaks. Awake, north wind, come, south wind, blow on my garden. My garden, choicest of flowers, they are having sex in this moment here. They're enjoying a night that God ordained. A night that for many, I have to tell you, some look at Christianity and think that God looks down upon sex. No, he made it for you to enjoy. He made the blessing for us to enjoy its pleasures and, and love. I see a lot of you smiling here. You're like, wow, I can't believe this. But that's the blessing of what it is. That's in the text. God put this here because he wants us to experience this. If God made something that is so incredible for you and I, we also have to imagine that God created a timeline for us to experience that. If there is to be blessing, it has to be within a vision under his supervision as well. He wouldn't create something that he wouldn't create a plan for you and how it would work. And so in this space, I want to just encourage you to realize a few things that are just so important. For love to blossom, it has to be produced. It has to produce roots that will last. But if it will blossom, it must be in the right time and in the right place. And so, yes, I tell you, when you meet with me and you tell me, bro, I'm having sex with my girl, is that okay, pastor? I'm going to look at you. I'm going to be like, no, bro. It's not. Now, we talk about sex as being maybe one of the biggest things, but the reality is that in sexuality, there's so much leading up to sex. I'm not going to go here and list off like what you can and can't do. That's not my job. But I will tell you, guarding your heart as, as she, the bride here, spoke many times to the, to the single people. Literally, you remember when she said that in, in chapter 3, verse 5, Oh, daughters of Zion, guard yourselves. Do not awaken love, arouse. Literally that word, arouse love. Don't allow temptation to live. So if you're going to live in a space where just the temptation, the arousal is there, don't go that far. Everything leading up to sex is to get you there. That's what married couples get to experience. So when people are like, well, listen, bro, I can have oral sex and we can kind of play around, touch things under here and there. That's all in preparation for the act. That's all part of the sex experience. So as a married man who's had sex, enjoyed it and grateful for it, I also know that these things that Elaine and I experienced, because we broke some, broke some boundaries that we're not proud of. We didn't go, you know, I won't, I won't go into details here now, but, <laughs> but, but the thing is, all of these things lead to that. So when people want to say to me, Pastor, could you tell me where the line is? I'll just say, listen, the line should be as close to your heart and as far away from hers. You want to protect this here because you also don't know if this person will end up being your spouse. What that means is that person is someone else's and you're messing with someone else's territory and property because we become one another's property when we say I do. And so tonight, I know some of you are like kind of feeling a little bit shamed and, and pushed on by me. Well, well, pastor, why are you telling? 
I just want to encourage you to respect one another's bodies. We dehumanize each other so much already with pornography. Dehumanizing men and women. Let's give each other our humanity back. Let's respect what God has given for a certain season and time to be cherished within the blessing. You will get there. You'll get to experience it. Can you believe that? I said this last week. I'll say it again. Over 90, close to 95% of people will get married by the time they're 50. Okay? Just to throw that caveat real silently. And some of you are like, Pastor, how could I ever wait till I'm 50 to have sex, bro? Come on. That's like a human experience. I should be able to have that. And I'll tell you this. You certainly can. You certainly can. And you can do that right now as much as you want, whoever you want, and go and enjoy that in that way. But when you come back and you sit in my chair, as I've sat with people before, who share the stories and sorrows of the mistakes of their past, when they sat in their season of saying, you know what, forget these church principles. I don't want any of that. We can talk then about the journey. And we can talk about walking back in God's grace. But imagine tonight making a commitment and saying, Lord, I know the things I've done. Not proud of it. But God, the future that looks ahead of me, I want to walk in a sexual wholeness that respects me and the others around me. and respects a timeline and a boundary that you created for my good and my blessing. You see, God isn't withholding anything when he says there's a season for this. He's rather saying, I want to bless you with something so important and so vital for a committed couple that will stay together forever that when you experience it without of those boundaries of commitment, you will only find yourself more hurt. Let's talk about something practical here. Hollywood portrays this idea of like unabashed sex happening all the time. It's actually hard to get someone to have sex with you, okay? Let's just be honest about that. Unless you have a girlfriend or boyfriend, people are like, well, how's this happen? Unless you're going to pay for it, unless you're willing to have someone friends with benefits, it's not that easy. People are like, well, I, I mean, I could swipe. Okay, fine, try and do it. The average single person who has no Christian kind of morality or those who are kind of, I forget those moral Christian things. I know I was raised with it, but whatever. On average, you know how many times people actually have sex a year? Two times. You know how many times the average married person has sex? Multiply that by like 50. Let's go. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> Dustin and I are married. Hallelujah. Okay. Average time a married person has sex is once or twice a week, okay? So it's, there is more sex that will happen when you get married. Don't be afraid of commitment. Don't think you're going to be in kind of a box. Well, I don't know if I want to be committed. Bro, you're going to enjoy way more. Just say that. I just wanted to say that, okay? So... Tonight I'm talking to young adults and I'm just and I'm being frank with you because I want you to recognize the beauty that marriage gives you. That is one of its benefits. When people say, you know, I'm embarrassed to say that I'm excited to get married because I want to have sex. I'm like, dude, hallelujah, that's awesome. You should be excited about that. Some of you are blushing right now. That's all right. But that is one of God's blessings. That is one of God's blessings that he gives within the confines of marriage. But it should be done in his way and in his time. 
I'm so glad that you've been listening to the first part of the sermon. This sort of production does require some financial cost. If you'd like to reach more young adults with this across the world, would you consider giving at praxisministry.org? You can select the Praxis Young Adult Envelope. Enjoy the rest of the sermon. You know, a beautiful thing in the wrong setting is a disaster. I love going to the beach and seeing the waves crash against the rocks. It's, it's incredible. But when those waves in a tsunami situation run through and ruin and kill cities and mountains and places, I say, wow, those same beautiful things that I was admiring can also be an incredible disaster in the wrong place. And so God gives you the power to live into a credible reality, but in the right time, in the right place. Now, let's keep going back in the text here for a moment because I want you to just see this last thing here. After the moment of consummation, awake north wind, come south wind, blow on my garden that its fragrances may spread everywhere. Let my beloved come into his garden and taste its choice fruits. Hallelujah. Verse 5 here. Now he speaks again. I have come into my garden, my sister, my bride, I have gathered my myrrh with my spice. I have eaten my honeycomb and my honey. I have drunk my wine and my milk. He's like, man, I had the most beautiful thing ever. And now people look at this book and they say, God isn't even anywhere in here. This is where theologians believe that the voice of God actually speaks. And listen to this. Eat, friends, drink, and fill yourself with its love. God praises these encounters that two people who've committed to a lifetime together get to experience. God looks down and he says, man, enjoy that. Live into that. Be blessed with that. So I want you to hear these few things that Solomon has to speak, though, in the book of Proverbs. He gives some really wise counsel. If you've never read Proverbs 1 to 6, I really encourage you over the weekend to just kind of spend some time reading this. Because we have to also talk about the idea of temptation within the season of singleness. Most of you who are in this room, you're single. And so I want to kind of share this with you. Here, Proverbs chapter 5, verse 15 to 23. Drink water from your own cistern. Running water from your own well. Here Solomon is talking about, listen, don't be cheating. Drink water from your own well. Drink water from your own relationship. Man, it's such a sad thing when people start kind of having gazing eyes around them and trying to find someone else than the person that they've committed their life to. It's a really tough reality when you're dating to be cheated on. It's awful. Those of you here who have wandering eyes, maybe there's some of you. I don't want to point fingers. It doesn't matter who you are. Commit to the person that you're with. It's really tough when you can't trust the person that you're with when you're dating them. So I want to encourage you to remember this. If you can't trust them while you're dating, don't assume you'll be able to trust them when you say, I do. Unless they've had a season of singleness and repentance and have gone to counseling and therapy to deal with what it is inside them that causes them to be a serial dater while they're with someone in a monogamous relationship, don't be going there. You really don't need to be forgiving someone that you're dating. That's over. That's, 
That's done in dating. I'm going to say something that seems radical. In a marriage, though, I do believe there's a space for reconciliation and working on things. Because you've two people have committed to a lifetime together. It's a very painful space to be cheated on, trust to be broken. It takes years sometimes, decades for it to be repaired. And it is tough. I remember sitting with a good buddy of mine that I had in college and we found each other years later. I was at a convention that I was part of and, and I saw him there and we talked and I shared with him about just the journey of accountability that I've been experiencing with guys and, and this is something that I experienced in my life. I was so grateful for when a mentor kind of held me accountable in my life and, and he just kind of listened. No problem. Okay, okay, okay. And then he called me the next day after I left and he said, Philip, were you serious about that whole accountability thing? I said, yeah, absolutely. I'm about to tell you something I've never told anybody. I'm like, okay, what? I've been cheating on my wife for the past year. And it's not the first time. <sighs> They're both Adventists. I stared at their precious children. I held them. I saw his wife's eyes. And I knew the pain that she would feel once she knew and understood what just happened. And he looked at me and he said, Philip, I remember the morning when it all started. I literally had a beautiful moment with Jesus and I had time of devotion. It was incredible. And I so enjoyed my time with Christ that morning. We pray, I prayed and, and I was just like, hallelujah, God. And I went to work. And then there, one of the people that I worked with kind of gave me with a wink. And then after, after work, we kind of chatted for a bit. And then she asked me an interesting question that just I started pondering and and she texted me about that. And then, instead of deleting the message, instead of looking at her and saying, hey, that's incredibly inappropriate, I said, tell me more. And started down a path of over a year of an affair. And it was a painful journey to have to walk with him through to, as he admitted to his wife what he had been doing and, and the recovery that they've gone through. And now they're in recovery and they lead recovery groups, believe it or not for other married couples. And so I tell you, in a dating situation, I don't have any room for cheating. I just don't. You don't have room for that. Someone's gonna be looking at someone else. What does that mean about me? Only caveat is in this realm, okay? And I give it a very slight caveat. The issue of pornography is so prevalent today, so addictive, pervasive in our world and minds. There is no doubt, and I say this with all candid you know, consideration for what it's going to sound like, but when the apple that's bitten is on our phones, literally depicts temptation and sin and evil, I truly believe these devices can be that very thing for you and me. Devices of evil. They can be used for good or for just awful stuff. And so when couples come and they sit down with me and, and one of them confesses, like, listen, this person's been looking at porn. I don't know what to do with this. The only time I say you should break up and walk away from this person is when they are not repentant. They're not being held accountable by other people. They're not being truthful. And they're not actually seeing victory. If they're just continually falling back, falling back, I'm just like, bro, are you actually taking it seriously? Because when you're walking with Jesus and when he forgives you, he also gives you power. We don't talk about that enough. 
Forgiveness is unlocking within the believer an incredible power to refrain from that which damages and kills. So do you trust and believe in that? So I will say that is the only time I'm like, listen, you want to work through problems together. Marriage is going to be all about working through problems. You're going to have other issues. This isn't the only one. But if you can overcome this one together, and I don't encourage you to have accountability with the dating partner you're with. It shouldn't be that person always saying, hey, I fell. That just rips a person's heart every single time. But they do need to have a legit Christian brother or sister in their life that they're being held accountable by. So we continue just in this last thing I want to just share with you then here that Proverbs brings out. Proverbs 5, 15 again. Drink water from your own cistern, running water from your own well. Should your springs overflow in the streets, your streams of water in the public squares, let them be yours alone, never to be shared with strangers. May your fountain be blessed and may you rejoice in the wife of your youth, your loving doe, a graceful deer. May her breast satisfy you. Again with the breast, there you go. You always, you may never, you will always be intoxicated by her love. Why, my son, then, be intoxicated with another man's wife? Why embrace the bosom of a wayward woman or man? For your ways are full in view of Christ. He examines your paths. The evil deeds of the wicked ensnare them. The cords of their sins hold them fast. For lack of discipline, discipline, they will die. Led astray by their own great folly. When we don't understand how to live into the journey of discipline before you say, I do, it will be incredibly difficult to live into that self-discipline when you do say, I do. Mastering that, overcoming that now as a single person is so important in your life. And so I want to encourage you in different ways to find victory in temptation. Tonight, I'm going to give you a QR code to look up here. I'm going to ask you a few questions and some things. And I want to see what you think before we end, okay? So, check this out. Scan the QR code. There's going to be some questions that are going to pop up for you that I want you to answer tonight, okay? So, pull out your phone or you can go on to this website, luc.info slash praxis. Let me move a little bit further. And there's a little five-question poll that I want to look at you with, okay? Bef- look at with you. There we go. If you tonight walked in here with a clear slate that I didn't say anything, how would you answer these questions? First one being, is sex outside of marriage really something that you think is valuable? Yes or no? Not valuable, but that God would be all right with. Is sex before marriage something that you think is, is okay? Or let me just read it from here, I, not by memory. Do you believe God created sex for you to enjoy only in a committed marriage? Yes or no? Or unsure? Before you walked in the room, before you walked in here, do you believe God created sex for you to enjoy only in a committed marriage? Yes or no? And unsure? Before you walked into this room. I'm going to leave another 30 seconds. 
Do you believe God created sex for you to enjoy only in a committed marriage tonight before you walked in here? All right. Most of you kind of had that in your brain. Some of you were unsure and some of you were like, nope, it's okay if it's outside of that. All right. Cool. Interesting for us to be able to see that. Let's go to the next question. Let's go to the next question. I think these are really important for us to kind of see visually together, just so we kind of capture a reality of where we're all at together here. Okay, so the next question, you should be able to see it on your phones. You should be able to see it on your phones. Go ahead and answer that one. everyone seeing it okay all right let's see my sex drive is too powerful to control no yes sometimes my sex drive is too powerful to control yes no sometimes it's almost like half and half on sometimes and no wow that's good people are being honest i like that All right, another 15 seconds on this one. Those of you who are saying yes in here, I hope, I hope you realize God didn't give you a Ferrari with brakes of a tricycle, okay? He really did give you brakes that would match the vehicle that you're driving, okay? That's really important to recognize. So now, what do we do with temptation? Let's, let's, I want to hear from you all. So respond to the next question. I want you to kind of speak into that issue and almost give encouragement to all of us who are here tonight for a moment. I want to hear from you in this, okay? So respond, respond to that next question. Respond to that next question. This will be really interesting to see what you say. And then I'm going to share a couple things that I think are really important. Give you another 20 seconds to answer that one. What are some things you would, you do? Let's hear from you guys. If you need the QR code again, it's up here. All right, how do you handle sexual temptation as a single or married person? Let's see some responses if that's working here. Talk about it with your partner, a trusted person. This is good. Pray, pray again and pray again. I like that. Exercise. Yes. So smart. Start cleaning. <laughs> Talk about boundaries and set them. Six feet distancing. Boundaries set in place through discussion with partner. Speaking clear boundaries out loud. Absolutely. Should be clear. Go to the gym. Yes. That's like the Joseph method. Run. Ask for 100 stakes. <laughs> I like that. I don't like steak, but okay. 
Focus on other things. Find a hobby. When we had our third, knowing your value and when to say no. Yes. Yes. Set strong boundaries so that you don't get into those situations. I'm sure that there are a bunch of others, but we'll kind of go to the next one. We'll go to one more here. So there's one more question, and then there's one last thing I'm going to ask from you. So there's one more question that I want you to kind of respond to in there. So go ahead and do that right now. So let's see what you all said on this last one. I think this will be interesting for us. Will God forgive you and bless your marriage even when you've gone too far sexually before? Yes, no, unsure. Before you walked in here tonight, what would you have said? I wonder. I'm really glad to see this. I am so glad to see this. Because there has been a time in our churches when this would have been a very different number up here. Very different number. And I'm so glad that this generation understands the gospel of Christ. Understands his mercy and grace. All right, I'm going to ask you a favor. There's one last question. Next week we're going to talk about the early marriage of this couple and the challenges that they actually traverse together. And we're going to invite our ministerial director, um, Pastor John Ciccarelli, who's had over 40-some years of pastoral experience, 30 years of pastoral experience, doing a lot of marriage counseling, a lot of weddings, a lot of sessions, and his wife, who's a licensed marriage and family therapist. And uh, after I share just a little bit in that sermon, I'm going to invite them up on stage. We're going to answer some of your questions about what are some of your thoughts or, or kind of concerns or questions that you have about early marriagehood, Okay. Those first years, first months into marriage. What are some questions that you might have that we can kind of talk about? So why don't you write those right now? Last 30 seconds. And we don't have to pull that up, but I do want to I do want to make sure we give enough time for each one of you to answer that last one. If you have a question about those early years. And then there's one last thing I want to leave you with now tonight. And the band can come up. C.S. Lewis said this. To love you as I should, I must worship God as creator. When I have learned to love God better than my earthly dearest, I shall love my earthly dearest better than I do now. Insofar as I learn to love my earthly dearest as at the expense of God and instead of God, I shall be moving towards the state in which I shall not actually love my earthly dearest at all. When things when first things are put first, second things are not suppressed but increased. When we talk about this journey leading to marriage, what I want you to remember, once you get married, before you're married, keeping God central to your relationship, keeping God central to your heart's relationship as a single person, dating person, doesn't matter, is paramount. I remember when my marriage counselor that was sitting with Elena and I, before we got married, he looked at me afterwards and he said, I need to tell you something, young man. Come over here. And I walked over to him and he said these words I've never forgotten to this day. He said, the moment your walk with Jesus starts to deteriorate is the moment 
your marriage will start to deteriorate. You better fight for that with all you have in you. You who are single here, you better fight for that all that you have in you now. Setting up that foundation spiritually in your life because if you think the habits are gonna somehow get stronger when you're married, you're wrong. This is a perfect time to be developing a strong walk with the Lord. This is the season. Do that. Invest in that. And so here are the three things I want to leave you with now tonight. Return the stones where you found them. Don't let anyone throw stones at you. And don't pick up the stones to hurt yourself with of the shame and guilt of the past. Put the stones back. Recommit your life to sexual wholeness. As the pendulum has swung in many directions, my prayer for you is that you just recommit your life to that. I encourage you for that. For God's sake, your blessing is at stake. He wants to bless you in so many ways. So don't choose a path of hurting yourself by walking out of his bounds. And lastly, read. Read spiritual works and relationships. Spend this season reading well. Don't assume you're going to know what you need to do when you get there. Now is the season to read and to educate yourself. I told you last week a few really important books that I thought are fantastic. Sacred Marriage by Gary Thomas. The Book of Romance by, Gary, uh, by uh, Tommy Nelson on the Song of Solomon. Beautiful book, The Book of Romance. There are many others that I could recommend to you, but I want to just encourage you, read, read well. Tonight, my friends, I love you. I care for you. I hope that it was meaningful for you tonight to just capture the heart of God and his blessing on marriage and sex in the scriptures and how much he wants that for you in your life in the right time and the right way. Thank you so much for listening to the Night Church Podcast. We hope you've been blessed by this sermon. And if you have, maybe you can share this with a friend. If you'd like to stay in touch, you can follow us on social media at Praxis Ministry or come visit us in Loma Linda on a Friday evening. We'll see you in the next episode.